Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Hey there, it's Debbie. Today's episode is a special re-release of a favorite conversation from the archives. Unless you're a longtime listener of the show, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one before. And even if you have, you just might get something completely different from it this time around. We're never going to live a life where we don't have some element of fear. That is an absolutely natural, human, and necessary emotion. But we don't have to let that rule our life, and we don't have to let that rule our decisions. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reaver, and I have a truly inspirational episode for you today. Because today I'm talking with a dear friend and mentor of mine, Jess Weiner. Jess is a CEO, author, podcaster, and cultural change maker who's been working in the business of empowerment for more than 20 years. Jess actually helped guide Mattel in the big change in the iconic Barbie doll last year, introducing more realistic body types, new skin tones, eye color, and hairstyles to the doll. Though she's not a typical parenting expert, Jess is all about shifting cultures, and that's why she is the perfect person to talk with us. More than anyone I know, Jess knows how to use her voice and advocate, even when she's up against long-standing, seemingly immovable paradigms. Sound like something we parents of differently wired kids could use some help with? This episode is a powerful conversation about what it takes to speak up and make a ruckus, even if that's a role we may not be comfortable playing. I hope you get as inspired by this conversation as I am. And before I get to the episode, I wanted to give you a heads up that in three weeks' time, my guest for the podcast is Dr. Ross Green, the author of The Explosive Child and Raising Human Beings, the founder of Lives in the Balance, and the person behind the collaborative and proactive solutions model. Before I even launched this podcast, Dr. Green was at the top of my list of dream guests because his work has profoundly impacted our family in the best possible way. It's truly life-changing for parents like us. I just recorded the conversation and wow, it was so powerful. So stay tuned for that in three weeks and I would love your help spreading the word and helping get that episode listened to by more people. Join us on the Tilt Parenting Facebook page at facebook.com slash Tilt Parenting. As the episode gets closer, I'll be putting together a simple share announcement. Thank you so much. And now I'll get on with the show. Hey, Jess, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm excited to have you on the show. This is a conversation I've been wanting to have for a while and you are the perfect person to talk about advocacy. This is something that a lot of parents like me, parents raising differently wired kids, find ourselves in situations where we are having to advocate for our kids and it's really uncomfortable for us. And so I thought this would be, you're not the typical guest. A lot of our our guests are parent experts, but I just appreciate what you do in the world and your experience. And I know that it's going to be really helpful for parents. 
Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I think advocating in any way, shape or form, like you said, is really uncomfortable and anything we can do to get people more empowered to speak up. uh, That's what I'm all about. That's awesome. Well, just as a way to introduce you, would you mind just... I know you've evolved and grown through many different phases in your in your life and career, but could you kind of give us a little bit of the highlights of your backstory so we understand where you're coming from? Yeah, sure. I, you know, I've been, as you know, I've been a social entrepreneur for 25 years, which and my focus has been on women and girls and confidence. That's really been the, the key area of my research and and empowerment work and um, and consulting work. And I think over the course of these 25 years, as you mentioned, you know, you go through various stages as an entrepreneur trying to solve for me a social problem, which was representation of uh, girls and families in the media. And how do we create an atmosphere where everybody's really represented so that you feel seen? Because we know that when people feel seen, they feel acknowledged and loved and accepted and valued. And that's the world that I want to create. But it's interesting because now I tell people I'm in the business of empowerment because really at the core of what I do, I run a consultancy that works with brands and organizations and helps them to better understand the issues that impact women and girls. And so I've had great opportunities to work with campaigns like the Dove Real Beauty campaign, which I've been an ambassador for for the last 13 years and have helped in recently in the last year to change Barbie's body to make her body more diverse and different skin tones and body shapes and hair textures. And so all of the work that we do is about moving our culture forward, which is why, Debbie, I was so excited to be able to share a conversation with you on your amazing podcast, because an issue that really does impact women and moms and dads and families is handling and navigating through a culture that doesn't often acknowledge differently wired kids in a way that can feel empowering. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything you talked about in that deep desire to feel seen, it's something I talk about a lot that we want our kids to be seen and appreciated for who they are. And as parents, we often feel that we are kind of kicked out of the club. You know, our experience is invalidated. It's not understood. And there doesn't really seem to be any interest in understanding what's going on with us because it, it's uncomfortable for for parents of neurotypical kids often to really acknowledge what's happening with us because, I mean, this is my opinion, but then they'd have to take a closer look at what's happening with their own child and realize that the system as a whole is really not working yes. for most of us. And I think too, you know, I, I, I wonder too sometimes if a lot of the lack of desire to look and to be seen and to really acknowledge also comes from you know, a lot of parents needing to look within and recognize what they thought parenting was going to be like, or what their dream or vision of what they thought their family was going to be like. And, you know, when you are dealing with your own family or somebody else's, I think it's often very reflective of your changing ideals or, you know, well, this wasn't what my family was supposed to look like or be like, or what will this mean if I have to, like you said, like look deeper within my own. I think a lot of it is about a self-reflection of ideals and values and expectations. And that doing that kind of self-reflective work is so important, not just for our children, but for ourselves. But, you know, it's just, it's not what gets prioritized in this culture at all. Well, it's work and it can be uncomfortable. And I think a lot of parents, especially if our kids are neurodiverse, 
our kids are our biggest teachers, right? So they trigger, you know, we we don't really have a choice. We can either lean in and go there, or we're going to be struggling in really understanding who our kids are. But yeah, I think it is hard work. And so if you, if you can avoid it, then I think that's the easier, (laughs) not as fulfilling, but it's the easier path, at least initially. Yeah. And it always comes and bites you in the butt, though. You can't really avoid the truth for very long. (laughs) That is a good point. I want to talk about this idea of bravery. That is a word that I I would definitely look at you and and you are someone I would consider to be brave in the way that you've shown up and the work that you've done. What is your definition of bravery? And what have you learned about stepping into your own bravery? Mm. That is such a good question. I think it's something I've learned to really um, love about myself is that I do have a pretty high tolerance for my own fear. And what I mean by that is I define bravery as much like I would courage, which is like feeling fear and doing it anyway. And I have really developed and cultivated the bravery muscle for myself in that I'm, I'm connected to my fear. I even have a name for it. <laughs> I have like my fear voice has her own name. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I get to really get connected to that because my fears become my greatest teacher. And through that, that's how I've learned bravery. So I'll give you an example. If I'm afraid to go into a meeting and ask for something that I want or recommend something to a client, and I'll usually just get a little deeper into you know, what is the worst thing that can happen? Or what am I really afraid of? I'm afraid of looking stupid. I'm afraid of not knowing something. I'm afraid of being vulnerable. You know, I'll go through the list of things. And once I started putting names on those fear elements, the ability to actually challenge that became easier and easier. Because when my fear name didn't have a title and when I couldn't actually call it out, then I didn't know how to combat it. And so my bravery literally is like a muscle that I exercise over time, which is, okay, I'm walking into this meeting and um, I'm afraid of looking stupid or I'm afraid of not sounding right. All right, well, what's the worst that can happen? Somebody thinks I'm stupid. Well, guess what? People are going to think you're stupid whether you're the smartest person in the room or not. (laughs) I can't control that. I can't control them. So what can I control? Oh, okay. I can control what I say. I can control how I say it. I can control the intention of which I share this information. And when I pull all that back to myself, I think that's what actually fortifies my bravery is I'm, I've brought it back to me. What can I control and what can I do? And then I work with myself and I say, okay, the best that I'm going to do is show up and be vulnerable or authentic or genuine. And I leave the rest on the table. And that's the kind of way that I flex the bravery muscle over time is I've looked fear straight in the face. And I've just said like, not today. (laughs) I'm going to do it anyway. And, um, you know, and it's not always been that simple, but it's definitely a process and a framework that I use. And you talk about that bravery is a muscle that you flex. So has your experience that it gets easier the more you do it? Sometimes, uh, to be honest, I immediately wanted to say yes, but you know, sometimes I think most of the time it gets easier. And then there's a new thing for me to learn as a human, right? And I discover a new patch of fear that I didn't know that I had before, or I fall deeper into a space of fear or concern that I didn't have before. But I love that acronym for fear, which is false expectations appearing real. Have you heard that before? I haven't. I love that. False expectations appearing real, meaning that all this fear that's in our head are false expectations that we think are real. So we act as though they're really happening. And when I think about that, again, it pulls me back into my body. Um, and I'm, and I get to recreate that moment. And so you know, I think it gets easier when you have more experience, much like anything, right? I mean, 
parenting gets a little easier the longer you do it. I think business gets a little easier the longer you do it. It doesn't mean there aren't challenges, but you do get to see yourself master some things over time. Yeah. And what I like about this conversation is it's a reminder that fear isn't something we want to avoid. And there's a lot of talk out there about say no to fear. And but really, it's about befriending fear, getting to know fear, getting to recognize, you know, you have a name for your inner fear voice. Mm -hmm. But you know, it is I think of it as getting to know that that yes. voice and like I see you I know what's yeah. going on but I'm not gonna you know today I'm I'm gonna say this instead and so I, I love that perspective on fear you know it's actually one of the things that I think we're doing the biggest disservice to our kids about is not teaching them about their shadow selves you know my fear is part of my shadow self my fear and how scared I can get of not appearing right or smart or this or that is is the darker part of me, right? It's the part that causes pain and stress and anxiety and, you know, negative thoughts. And and I think sometimes with all of this sort of like rah-rah empowerment messaging that is well maybe well intended, but kind of feels hollow and falls short of actually giving our kids like a framework and a tool of how to look at that fear, how to acknowledge it, because it is part of us. We're never gonna live a life where we don't have some element of fear. That is an absolutely natural human and necessary emotion, but we don't have to let that rule our life and we don't have to let that rule our decisions. And so I think, you know, learning how to embrace the shadow part of ourselves is really important. And I imagine for families who are embracing and looking at how to navigate in a culture that doesn't respect or acknowledge or appreciate what's going on in their family, you know, that's the fear that comes up of not being included and not being seen. And how do we acknowledge that fear and not be afraid of it, but not let that dominate our lives? So well, let's shift the conversation to advocacy, because mm -hmm. that's something I, I think we all need to know how to do. So many of us are having to perpetually advocate in schools and, you know, being that squeaky wheel and fighting for who, for our kids to get services, dealing with insurance companies. I mean, it, it just yeah. goes on and on. So, and, and again, that's a role that many parents are uncomfortable with. Many women that I've talked to in particular struggle with that role. And so when we talk about advocacy, what makes a good advocate? What do you see as being the key ingredients for being a good advocate? Well, I think, first of all, like you said, most of us, um, the advocacy or the need to advocate is sort of thrust upon us by a circumstance or an experience, right? You're a parent of a differently wired child, or in my case, I was growing up in a culture that wasn't acknowledging various body shapes and sizes in the media, and I wanted to advocate for the ability for all girls to be seen. Sometimes experiences or situations get foisted upon us that make us an advocate, right? So I want to also acknowledge that I don't think we all wake up and we're like, hey, I'm going to go walk upstream today. <laughs> this sounds like fun. <laughs> like, I think, you know, our life calls us to do that. But I think the key ingredient to your point is um, obviously a deep passion. But I would actually say more so than passion, it's an intention. It's an intention to have changed something, to have a vision uh, and to know exactly specifically what you want. Because I think nobody is successful as a general advocate. People need to be very specific, right? You need to be able to know exactly what you're asking for to understand how to measure impact or success or, you know, what do you want to, what do you want to have happen? And I think sometimes 
there's a lot of complaining, but that's not advocacy. I think advocating is a part education. It's a part negotiation. Um, it's a part inspiration. You know, there's lots of tactics that advocates have to use to get their point across. And oftentimes when we're hurt, when we're upset, we use anger as the biggest piece, right? I'm angry. This, I wasn't included in this, or my family wasn't included in this, or I need to fight for my right. So we, we, we feel angry because we have to fight, right? And, and we feel fearful, but and anger is a great fuel for advocates. And I actually think it's a great tactic, but it's not the only tactic. You know, sometimes if you're talking about the education system, you know, as much as you may not want to as an advocate, you're going to have to become part, you know, educator and inspiration in chief to get people on your side to understand and see your point of view. I look at these tactics very similarly to I look at a marketing or PR tactic. You know, you're trying to change a person's point of view, whether they're your insurance auditor, whether they're your teacher, whether they're your neighbor, whether they're the parent of a friend, like you're trying to change someone's POV and you're going to have to use many different ways to do that. There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. 
I love that analogy to being a PR marketing push forward a campaign. It makes total yeah. sense. I never thought of it that way. What about when you get pushback and especially with schools? And in fact, I'm, I just was on a thread today in a Facebook group that I'm in that's full of parents raising twice exceptional kids. And, you know, it's the first couple weeks of school and the crap is hitting the fan and the notes are coming home from teachers and the refusal to give accommodations. And, you know, these parents are feeling like they're constantly in this fight mode, right? And so what advice do you have for parents who are, they're advocating, they're, they're trying to do it with passion and with intention and with positivity and inspiration and all these qualities that you talked about, yeah. but they're getting nowhere. How, how yeah. do you encourage them to continue? Well, I, first of all, I feel very much for the, the moments of that pushback because I know that that can feel devastating for people. But here's what I would say. The way that I negotiate when I'm advocating is like I do when I'm going to buy a car. <laughs> it's like I know what I need to get and my job is to get you to give that to me. And so one of the things that I would say is like even in the language that you use. So for instance, like let's say teacher has sent home a note and they're not offering the accommodations that you feel are necessary for your child to be successful in that class. You could handle this a number of different ways, but I would say one of the ways a tactic could be to come in to say, listen, my goal in having this conversation with you is that we're going to come up with a solution for my child to make them successful in this class. My ask of you is to work with me on that solution. Here's what I'm proposing. What do you propose? And the, and the nuance for me there is the first couple of sentences, which was my intention in this conversation is to achieve X. We are going to achieve X. How would you like to work with me on that? Mm. <laughs> so it's a little neurolinguistic programming, but it also lets the other person know that there is no other option in this scenario, right? We're going to get to a solution and we're going to work together and here's what we're going to do. And again, I know personalities aside, that's like one example to many possible scenarios, but some of that confidence in speaking clearly and intentionally and not leaving a lot of room for the other person to kind of wiggle around is one way to be a successful advocate. And that is devoid of emotion. Like I said, all of that, you know, obviously without the packing of like feeling all the pain you're feeling for your kid and the frustration you're feeling for not being seen. But I think sometimes we, when we're advocating to an audience that isn't very familiar with our scenario or our plight or our nuances, we automatically assume that they're maliciously not engaging with us because they don't want to help. And I yeah. just find that ignorance is like so deep and so embedded. And it's so hard because logically you want to be like, don't you get it? Why aren't you helping me? And I just have to constantly remember, okay, they are sitting from where they're sitting. So I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to get you to come to my side. What is it going to take to get you here? And listen, that takes a tremendous amount of energy. And I I know you've done that many times over. I know your community of listeners have done that many times over. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a game of attrition at this point. <laughs> we have to wear people down to get them to change perceptions. I just have to say that where my mind went when you were talking about that tactic and, and the language to use, which I love that and that's going to be really helpful for parents. It's it's almost like when Ben Kenobi is saying, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Move That's along, right. you know, and you're going to yes. see them my way soon enough. I love that. Yeah, you have to Jedi mind them for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering, your last response made me wonder, how do you keep yourself emotionally safe. I don't know if that's the right word, but how do you kind of take care of yourself 
in these situations where they may be really sensitive situations, or you're so personally attached to the outcome? How do you regulate that? Well, that's, that's tough. I, I still work through that. You know, I've been at this game for a long time and my advocacy comes in the form of talking to media companies and brands and entertainment professionals about changing the stories that we put out for our kids, right. And the products that we put out for our kids. And so it's a different kind of advocating for children, but it is something that's also very tireless. Like it's feels like it's never ending. And my self-care techniques have varied over the years and I haven't always done them so well. You know, I've definitely, um, not taking care of myself physically. I've not, um, can you hear my cat meowing in the background? So here's one of the things like, while I'm trying to be all boss and professional on this podcast, I've got like a yelping cat in the background. So apologies to all your listeners, but, uh, usually my self care will involve, um, helping and petting my cat, but not today. Um, so I think, you know, one of the things that I deal with in how do I kind of pick myself back up is, I definitely have to take care of now of my body and my mind. So therapy is a huge resource for me. Um, you know, I box now, so I get out a lot of my aggression <laughs> in mm, a different awesome. form, which is really helpful. And, um, but you know, the other piece is, is that I have to create a council of like my esteemed team, like people that I go to that deeply understand my plight, share in the same base. And that's really important for me to go to for support. But you know, where I also have developed is I've developed a group of people who don't know much about what I do. And I go to them to actually do the celebrating. Cause I find that sometimes if I go to a lot of other like media literacy people or consultants or, you know, social ab- justice advocates, we end up complaining about the same things. And that's great in a bonding moment. And we can share about our frustration in advocacy, but I often don't get some of the lift that I need in those spaces. And so I've cultivated a couple of friendships where I can go to them and they're less familiar with my line of work. And so when I tell them some of the things that I've tackled during the day, I get a different point of view from them. They kind of help me celebrate the smaller wins. And I found that that's actually been a good balance for me because I don't always want to talk shop with the same shop people. Like sometimes I just need somebody to be like, wow, you walked into that office and said that, or wow, you, you know, you made that beautiful presentation to say how passionate you were about that topic. Like that's incredible. And so I may not be looking at those things in the same way. And I think finding a lot of different voices to contribute to your journey as an advocate is very important. That's such great advice. I think that's something that a lot of parents in my situation, we really work hard to develop those connections with other, which is with people who get us, you know, but I love that reminder to have relationships with people who can just celebrate you and, and even just taking the time to acknowledge the victories because they sometimes feel like they aren't as frequent as the problems and challenges. That's a great reminder. It's become a lifeline for me because otherwise I, um, I lose sight of, of the small wins. And I think when you're, you know, look, when you're in the, in the fight and the journey of getting people to have a deeper understanding about something they don't know about, it's a process. And that's the other thing is I've had to develop more patience than I ever thought I would have in my life. Yeah. Big change can, can take time. I mean, just watching you push towards change, especially you mentioned the body shape change and the the changes that have happened to Barbie in the past few years that I know that was a long, that was a long journey for you. Yeah, 
that was that was a lot of it was about six years wow. of, of work internally and yeah and there's lots of days you come home and you think I mean listen even a more recent example is I work with movie studios now and trying to get them to change their representation of you know women in front of and behind the camera and whether it's in Barbie or in studios like that, you know, you come home and you're like, this is never going to happen. This is never going to happen. This is never going to happen. And then something happens. And then you realize that for me, the long game and my intention around the long game is changing a system. And I imagine Debbie is very similar to what you and your community are talking about as well. You're trying to change not only a cultural system, an educational system, a parenting system, a medical system in how we treat, acknowledge, engage, you know, differently wired kids. And so it's a systemic change. And that is not a short term play. That's a long term play. So I have to also pull myself off of my own expectations at times. And I understand there's a different immediacy when you're talking about your child versus talking about like an element of, of, you know, entertainment culture, they're not the same. But I think elements are similar in that for me as an advocate and as a fighter, I've got to modulate my energy around that. I've only got so much energy in the day to be irate about everything. And my God, living in the world that we're living in now, every day of a news cycle feels like 10 years. (laughs) So I've got to, you know, you've got to do the self-care. You've got to do the different kinds of input in your life. And you've got to also, I think, you know, be very honest with yourself about what you expect to accomplish and, and, and manage expectations in that way. Yeah, it definitely is is a long game. But what I love about it, and I'm sure you see this in your work too, is that I feel like for every parent who advocates for their child to get the accommodation they need in class, to get acceptance into this after school program or or whatever it is, they're paving the way for other people. Like, you know, we're, I say this in my manifesto, we're all in this together. And the more of us that advocate and use our voices, we can't be ignored. There's too many of us, there's 20% of kids are differently wired. So if we all really stepped into that and did our little piece, I think the effect could be pretty incredible. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside.
Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Yeah, and I have to say, as somebody who is, I'm not a parent of um, human children, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> but um, have been advocating for children for many years and knowing you as long as I have and watching your journey um, with Ash and, and your deep challenge of shame, of vulnerability, of guilt, of acceptance, of advocacy, of activism, of creativity, um, of collaboration. Like I really, I'm so excited that you have leaned fully into this role in your life and are, you know, able to share what you share with people. Because even as somebody who is not as directly relating to the exact parenting experience, I learned very much from you in watching your dogged determination and watching your extreme creativity and how you, whether it's like how you're choosing to homeschool or how you're choosing to handle hard moments. Like I read about the trips that you guys have on social media and I'm taking away lessons because sharing vulnerably helps everybody. And I think in a world where parents have, um, you know, I love twice exceptional, differently wired. I love all of this language, like amazing children, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like when you, um, have leaned into the gift you've been given and the challenge you've been given and you share vulnerably from that, everybody can learn from that. And so I think so many people that are listening right now are already trailblazing new paths for people in their lives and they just don't know it. And you've certainly mm -hmm. done that for so, so many people. Mm, thank you. I so appreciate you saying that. Well, listen, I want to ask you one more kind of big question and then I'm going to let you get on with your day mm -hmm. and your cat. I'm just curious. So I'm hoping that this conversation has been inspiring for parents and they're, they're feeling their uh, advocacy muscles are starting to flex. Maybe they're doing <laughs> some stretching and getting ready to go in. Do you have any advice for parents who, who are finding themselves in this space? They, they want to do something and, and they're facing some resistance, but they're, they're kind of ready to, to move forward. Like any words of wisdom for them? So two things I would say, I would write a letter to yourself in a moment where you're feeling great. Okay. When you're like super high on what you're doing and how you're feeling about things. And in that letter, summon all of that courage and that wisdom and that bravery to talk to your shadow self, to talk to your fearful self, to talk to yourself that may have some doubts about the road ahead in advocacy or, you know, just the ones that doubt about the success of what they're doing. Because I do that for myself. I read that letter when I'm in a lower point. And because it's in the voice for me at a higher point, um, it just reminds me of what I'm capable of doing. So give yourself a, a kind of a reminder in that way um, when you're feeling great. And the other piece of this, as I would say, is 
I do this kind of when I get anxious or I get um, nervous or I feel a little out of my body when I'm getting ready to go advocate for something that I care about or I want to connect with somebody. I do this five senses exercise where I just ask myself, okay, what am I what am I seeing? What am I smelling? What am I tasting? What am I hearing? What am I touching? What am I feeling? And it just brings me back into my body. It just reminds me, like, even in those moments of tension, even in those moments of fear, like, I'm here, I'm alive, I'm present, I've got this, like, I'm connected to my body, I'm going to get my thoughts together, and I'm going to go forward. And these are two tactical things that I do that keep me in the advocacy fighting mood, right? Because I need to remind myself that I've got the ability. So I use my own words to do that. And then when I'm in this space, I have to remind myself to stay in my body so that I can be fully present for my life. And that's how I use the five senses. So I I think, you know, for those folks that are listening that are in the middle of a battle or really, you know, struggling with how to even get started, just keep some of those tools handy so that, um, again, like, like, um, you know, like an athlete, like somebody who's going to flex this muscle, these are your practice tools. This is your strength conditioning and your training. And I think most of all, knowing that you're not alone, that you are part of a larger community and that we sort of all stand behind you and support, uh, try to imagine what that looks like. You know, you standing in front of a school board or, <laughs> or a teacher mm-hmm. or another group of parents, but imagine that there's thousands of us standing right behind you. Mm, those are such Great practical strategic tips. Thank you so much for sharing those. I think we could all benefit from doing them. And before we go, I want to make sure people know where to reach you and where to find your podcast. So would you mind just letting us know the best places to connect with you? Sure. So my podcast is called Talk to Jess, and I'm in all places that you can listen to podcasts, but you can definitely get it through my website, which is jessweiner.com. And it's W-E-I-N-E-R.com. Excellent. And listeners, I will leave links in the show notes so you can check out Jess's podcast is awesome. She has really authentic, vulnerable, honest, fun, funny, irreverent sometimes conversations (laughs) with really interesting people. So definitely check that out. And Jess, as always, I just love speaking with you and I learn something every time. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast and sharing this with us today. You are so welcome. It's my pleasure. You're one of my favorite people. I feel the same. I wish we could hug. (laughs) I know. Virtual hugs from (laughs) Amsterdam to LA. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to Jess's website, her podcast, Talk with Jess, her books, and all the other resources we talked about, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 78. If you get value out of this podcast and would like to support this work, there are a couple of easy ways to help. One is to sponsor the podcast through my Patreon campaign. Patreon is a simple membership platform that allows listeners like you to make a small monthly contribution to fund the show. If you want to help us, visit patreon.com slash tiltparenting. The other way to help is to be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and help me spread the word. Thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. 
My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.